Welcome to episode 69 of the Brown and Black Podcast. My name is Jack Rico. And I'm Mike Sargent. And every week we take a look at race and pop culture through a brown and black lens. So we're about third week into January, Mike. <laughs> Compared to 2021, how are you feeling your 2022? Since this is not a show about politics, I will say from a political standpoint, it's a scary time. From a creative standpoint, I think we're in a very interesting time, especially for the kind of stuff that we cover for brown and black media. Uh, I feel there's a lot going on. So I'm more excited about that area of our lives and, and what we cover and what we're impacted by and to create that, the, all of that than I am, you know, things that are going on in this country are enormously disturbing to me. I, I was I was sitting in the, uh, in my living room, um, the other day and i remember that i got this this sense of loneliness right and i was like what what was it and, and it was more having to do with a particular memory that i wanted to recapture and it was the memory of i remember in the evening times in america where as soon as the six o'clock newscast came in you were locked in you know sitting down waiting for for the news anchor to tell you the news of the day. You know, this is kind of how we grew up. And there was that sense that right after the newscast in Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune, you were going to get the best television shows that the creative mind could offer. Everything, 8 p.m., prime time, all the way through 9, and then you had your Tonight Show. So you were accompanied by people. You're best friends were with you every single weeknight you never had to stress and and think about the horrors of the world you were sucked in into a form of a metaverse right uh the the, the famous nbc thursday nights must see tv thursdays like those types of companions especially now during a pandemic where we're in a soft lockdown, but we were in a harsh lockdown. What happens when you're alone? So I started kind of feeling I wanted to kind of capture that moment again, kind of go back into that routine. And I was like, how do I pull this off? Because I feel like in the evenings, I read too much, I catch up with the world, and I just want to sometimes just sit, man, and stare and just escape into nothingness into uh, an abstraction for a while but there's no television shows so as of late i've discovered a few yellowstone my man <laughs> i know i've been watching a lot of white programming man but yellowstone and this universe of the cowboy man in montana i am loving it my wife and i are into i think season two now then we're watching Sex in the City, which reminds me of the 90s and HBO. And that has been great. Seeing these old characters, they feel like familiar friends from the city. And then we, I got access to the new We Crashed TV series by Apple TV+. 
This is what tomorrow looks like. Let there be lights and wide open spaces. This isn't a place for people to punch in and out. WeWork's role is to elevate the world's consciousness. And it's the whole, it's, the, it's like a TV limited series of the WeWork debacle, the rise and fall of Adam Newman uh, and with Jared Leto and Anna Anne Hathaway. And I can tell you right off the bat, Jared Leto's doing the, the same character he did in House of Gucci. And dude, I don't know, man. I'm just starting to not like his work. I didn't think this would happen. It just... I don't see the greatness in what maybe other people see, man. I, I just think this guy falls in love with these mannerisms and it's hard to shake those off. And I just don't see the brilliance or the cleverness in them. But I do like the story and I did see the original documentary that was at Sundance. And that was fantastic. Um, so, but, but it ain't bad. It ain't bad. Like the story itself is really interesting and the way they, they're, they're doing it, it's fast paced, it just feels like like an HBO type of show but a little lighter. And then uh, Billions is coming out tonight. I, the two episodes are already out on Showtime. It's not one billionaire. Took the billionaire class. Oh, I'm gonna get him where they live. When it comes to Michael Prince Capital, what you've done before today is not my concern. I treat my players fairly, but not equally. That's the way of the gun. And you're okay with it. The gun doesn't care what I'm okay with. So I feel like I have like four, you know, four things to watch and I'm excited about it, man. I'm like, can't wait. Like I wake up in the morning. I'm like, okay, yeah, tonight we got something to do. Woo! Mike, why am I so excited about stuff like this? Well, you know, you just, you answered your own question. You know, you, you've been programmed from a young age to, to have your day being whatever it is. Then you find out what happened in the rest of the world. Then you get lost in a world that has nothing to do with either. And I, I think that that ritual or, or system of, of living is, is kind of was baked in. What I find interesting uh, about everything you said, and and I, I'm going to be honest. As I listen to you talk, I'm reminded of how much of an outsider I felt like through much of my adult life because I stopped watching TV and everybody continued. So, uh, you know, by the time I got to high school, I pretty much stopped watching TV. So I missed, you know, all the shows in the 80s and 90s. I, I didn't see any of them, but everybody else did. Everybody around me did. Everybody could talk about them. Everybody talk about commercials, and they'd be like, "You saw that commercial?" And I like I'd never seen it, but. Now we live in an a la carte society. So you could sit back and say, you know, I'm missing this from my life. And you can pick and choose because I think we're in a golden age of television. I think television's better than it's ever been. I, yeah. it's, it's, yeah. There's no comparison. Yeah, it, man. It, and there have been movies now that we're seeing, I think, and Dune is probably one of them, where it had been better off as a series because we're used to the long form storytelling. We enjoy the building because what's different about TV today and the reason you're so excited, in my opinion, and just talking about TV and the evolution of TV in, in our lives, TV used to be standalone episodes. And they used to be exciting. And these characters always felt like they were larger than life and memorable and worthy of lasting a whole generation. And I just feel like Netflix has completely diluted, you know, the, the, the these characters. They all feel stock 
characters. Like, there's not one actor that can take every role and make it into something memorable like John Ritter did with Three's Company or Come in, I gotta do it. Come in, I gotta do it. <laughs> Was that your John Ritter impression? That, oh, that's... man. All right, well, the last part I'll say to that, Jack, is that, and what's that's what's interesting about stock characters because I wasn't even going to go there, but I think that that's the problem with movies is that we see these movies and you're like, I've seen a better version of this on TV. I've seen like this same, the same <laughs> right. premise was covered in, you know, some television show, but there's so much out there. There's so many good things I've been recommended. I have people telling me things. I, I, I think I'd need another life to watch everything I want to watch. Cause as you're telling me, I'm like, yeah, I haven't seen billions. I want to I'm wondering, huh? It's the final season of billions, right? Yep, this is it. Do you think Billions is what inspired Succession? Succession, yes. Uh, I think that was more the Murdochs, you know. Uh, uh, yes, they're billionaires, but 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 Succession really is about the media and, and, and how who gets to inherit the kingdom. It's a Game of Thrones type of analogy almost. With Billions, it's about who gets to have power. So it's like a like a tennis match is what billions feels like uh succession feels like i dare you to kill yourself to show me how much you love the throne and i might consider giving it to you so it's that the cat and mouse game it's um it's 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 horrific <laughs> psychological for these characters <laughs> topics that I want to talk to you about today is why does Hispanic animated films why do they succeed why are they so successful at the box office versus real life Latino films like in the Heights and West Side Story and anything with a real flesh and bone actor and uh, this has been something that's been bugging me for a while. No one's really talked about it. I haven't seen any articles about it. So I'm bringing it up. I'm, I'm, I'm creating and originating this topic because I think there's a debate about that. And I wanted to sort of get your thoughts. We had a chance to talk to Justina Machado uh, for the Highly Relevant Podcast. And I want to get your thoughts and what you think the root causes 
of why animation doesn't translate over to real life uh, because it's it's baffling. But before that, Mike, I did want to talk about another topic. The big question I think for me is, what is an American is something that has come into question this week. And I'm sure you've heard of the news that Mitch McConnell was asked the question recently about the Voting Rights Act that was supposed to happen that they blocked with a filibuster. And that uh, they asked him and said, you know, how do you think this is going to affect, you know, African-Americans? He then said this. Well, the concern is misplaced because if you look at the statistics, African-American voters are voting in just as high a percentage as Americans. I mean, okay, give me his perspective, his point of view as a white man sitting there. How does he think that African-Americans aren't Americans? If you, if you really want my perspective on this, I'll back up and, and unpack a little bit here for you. First of all, and, and there's a couple layers of context here. One, as we've talked about on this show, you know, the Republicans are strategists. They've already won. They've already won because they've already rigged the game. Yep, gerrymandering, voting rights suppression. But and on so many ways and so many levels, it's, it's sort of like they've created their own checks and balances. They've literally rolled back laws that made it easy for people to vote. So it's clear they don't want people to be able to vote. They've put in uh, electors. So listen to me, every stage of the way, they, they, they are able to throw away votes. They're able to make it difficult to go to vote. They can do limited and they have less voting places. They're going to throw away mail. It's going to be a total clusterfuck. This coming election, it'll be a total clusterfuck. You'll be just reading for months and months about this happened, that happened, this shit, that And now all of a sudden it'll be like, oh, now we're saying there's election fraud. Now the Democrats are saying there's election fraud. But it's not fraud, okay? It's just a complete dismantling of what democracy is supposed to be. Now- he knows all this. Now, the second factor. I think the older you get, the more you don't give a fuck. <laughs> okay? Is this is just a fact of life. Part of getting older oh, is you don't man. give a fuck. Am I wrong? You're right, man. Okay, it's just you have with Tony Soprano, man. Anybody, <laughs> any fucking but exactly. <laughs> Tony Soprano is perfect example. All right, so so I think that at a certain point you look at people like like the way a mansion responds to things, uh, the way some of these people who, who've just literally just said out loud the shit like, I can't believe they said that. Uh, you know, it's usually these older guys. They, they don't give a fuck. OK, what, what's his name? Uh, uh, Lindsey Graham. Lindsey Graham blatantly says one thing and then blatantly said in the mood in the videos out there of him saying, no, we should never do this. And then him saying, yes, we got to do this. You know, he doesn't give a fuck. Okay, all right. Third factor. See, but this is the question about identity of what an American is. I'm going to break it down. I, for, I forgot who said it, but for uh, white people like that, the people make America great again. What is America? Okay, let, let's back that up for a second. What is America? If you're white, if you're a wealthy white male, what is America? Okay, America is a land of the, the free trade and do whatever the fuck you want. Okay. That's what this America is now. Anything else, there's got to be a hyphen. You're African-American, you're Latin-American, you're Asian-American. You're not American. You're something else that's come to America. You're something else that's come here. You're something 
something I have, and here's what's important. You're something I've allowed in. Wow. Immigration, immigration. I've allowed you in to my America. So what you're saying is that the word America means white citizen of the United States of America. I could give you 15 examples, okay, where, where it's not said, but you, you see these memes sometimes that says, how to say this without saying it? And it's said in so many- But Mike, many- then what about the Native American? I mean, if, the, if American means white, then what about the Native American? It's still a hyphenate, Native American. It's still not American. American- know, why don't they see them? You know what? You don't see, when have you ever seen it written, white American? No, never. It's just that we all kind of always have known that every time we say American, it doesn't mean us. And dude, I hate to tell you this, but as Latinos, it's very hard when a Latino tells you, yo, yo, I'm not, I'm not Latino, man. I'm American. Deep down inside, you know that there's something, something tells you in your biology Something that you've acquired, something that you've learned, something that you know but haven't really spoken about, that that's not right. That for some reason we've been ingrained that white America and a a white American is the real definition of what an American is. Dude, it's inherent in our language is what I'm getting at. It's like, okay, when that person says I'm American, you know what he's, to me, what that Latino is saying? That Latino is saying... I don't want to be invisible because if you're not American, then what are you? You're some other hyphen, you're some what, Asian American or Arab American? What what are you? I don't even know what you are. You're something else. You're other than American. You look, you fill out a job form. What are you, what does it ask you? What non-white race are you? So white Americans, that's Americans. Everybody else, okay, if you want to go further into white supremacy, if you go further into white supremacy, just, you know, talk about the, the white identities, statewide identities. If you go further, deeper, deeper into uh, that list, okay, American equals human. Anything else hyphenate American is less than human. Oh. Goodness, Mike, dude, that can't possibly be. Dude, okay, and if that weren't true, it's inhuman listen, to do that. Listen to me. What's also inhuman is to pretend that it didn't happen, make it illegal to teach it, and make it illegal for people to even acknowledge that their ancestors did it. So that you're you're blind to today, yesterday, and tomorrow. Okay, so this question and this conversation leads into the subject of today, which is why doesn't the success of Latino animated stories translate over to live action Latino films? You know, like, how does it work? How, how did animated films manage to crack the code? And it's not even Latino films, Mike. To be quite honest, it's been anything ethnic. Let's go all the way back to Aladdin. Aladdin's about an Arab, it's an Arab culture film. The movie made $504 million worldwide when it first came out. Moana, 
$645 million at the box office. I mean, we're talking about numbers that are approximating a billion. Coco, which won the award for Best Animated Feature at the Oscars, $807 million at the box office, plus critical acclaim. Raya and the Last Dragon, which recently came out in theaters, $130 million. Encantos right now, which is the number one soundtrack album, number one on the Billboard 200, and number four with a song called We Don't Talk About Bruno. Number four on the Hot 100 Billboard, meaning radio play. And that's at $223 million. Dora the Explorer is an iconic animated Latina figure. But the movie? The movie made $119 million. In the Heights, as comparison to these animated movies, In the Heights has only made $43 million. West Side Story that is still, I think, playing in theaters, 58, Mike. So clearly... Ethnic stories done by Disney close in on an average of six to seven hundred million dollars, closing in a billion dollars. But you do a real life action film with Latinos, like In the Heights, and no one shows up for that. No one shows up for that. Can you explain to me why animation happens to? dilute or corrode our sense of vision and thinking where real life doesn't i can i definitely have my theory i can give you a theory go for it uh, you, because you we spoke to we actually if you want we spoke to justina machada oh yes and here's what, what is he, i asked her about this question because she's She's a she's voice acting the role of Z in the new Ice Adventure film that just recently came out. And here's what she said when I asked her that question directly. I don't know why that is. I have no idea why some maybe it's because they don't have to deal with actors or or like <laughs> or, 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 or the specificity of an actor or the authenticity of something. I don't know. I mean, I love Coco. And um, I don't know why it didn't resonate with In the Heights or with West Side Story. Maybe it's because, you know, those, the, the movie that West Side Story and In the Heights are made for, people aren't going to see, they're, you know, they're not going to see movies. Whereas Encanto and Coco, you're taking your kids, you know what I mean? It's a family affair, mm -hmm. it's all of that stuff. Uh, I don't know, but I think it can't hurt us. I definitely think that if it's happening there, then it's gonna it's gonna you know come on this side too. We're we're gonna feel a little bit of it here. Uh, she she doesn't know, and she's she's trying to give you a theory. I think you caught her off guard a little bit. Uh, it's one of those things that I think you just accept, and you're like, yeah, why is that? But I have theory, and uh, again, because you mentioned this to me. Uh, you know how it is sometimes somebody asks you a question you go oh well because blah 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 and you're like well yeah maybe that maybe that is why so <laughs> I, I have i have an idea too i've i put so, some yeah, thought well, i want to hear this. your so, theory i want to hear your theory i'm really no I no no no, no 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 okay. i want to hear hey, it's called brown and black right. I, I need to hear the right, black fine, fine. thinking oh, behind this yeah but with this brown and black browns before black <laughs> hey hey you wait, lost, wait, wait. You are you not confident about your theory <laughs> well, okay, here's my take on it. Here's my take on it. I think I think there's a few factors in play. In terms of animation, 
and in terms of El Canto and in terms of why those other films didn't quite work. I think that the, there, there are three converging, three or four converging factors. I think one, if you look at how a culture embraces or changes something, okay, it has to, it has to have an entry point, okay? How did Will Smith become a star? He started out on TV. Lots of white girls liked him. Okay, so by the time he could become a sexy black man on screen, okay, it, it, they were ready for him. They'd grown up with him. They, 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 they were ready for him to be something else. They, they were open to him. And he's black. He was a rapper. You know, he doesn't get black. He's not like a distinguished, he's not Sidney Poitier or Denzel Washington. He's a, a black rapper from, from Philly. How does he get to become A-list? Well, the, way, the entry point into to acceptance of him. Second thing. Ethnic cultures. Remember, we just had this conversation about American. Anything that's not American is, quote unquote, ethnic. OK, it's, quote unquote, cultural, ethnic. How, you know, baked into our uh, uh, also our viewing habits, let's just say. Uh, uh, and, and we won't get to those who are in power, but baked into our viewing habits. You, you know, you talked about coming home and, and, and having this routine. Well, how did you as a kid, how did you learn about nature? How, how did you learn about um, um, other lands, other countries, of other civilizations? Mostly, if you're a kid watching documentaries, watching Disney Channel, watching watching some some movie that takes place somewhere, how, how do people learn about other cultures? And how do you get your views on culture? Okay, if you want to just take, for instance, Asian culture. Okay, Asian culture has a certain thing. It's like you, you, the, all these Asian, you know, karate movies, Chinese movies. You know, th there was Mulan, there was there was Kung Fu Panda. It's like okay, those movies were very successful. There were three Kung Fu Pandas, okay, but there weren't three uh, Eat Pray Loves. There weren't three Crazy Rich Asians. You know, it, 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 there wasn't that level of success for any of those films, even though they they hit. But it's like every ten years we get a hit. Asian film. So I think we're conditioned, especially from the time we're children, to take in different cultures in a certain way. Now, fourth factor, the, the, the Latino culture is not monolithic. So it's not like something can become like to, to a lot of white people, black culture is monolithic. It's not, but it is. It's either. And, and if it's not monolithic, all right, well, there's Caribbean, there's African, and then there's American black. Okay, that's it. What else is there? OK, so that you, you fit. It's an easy category to, 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 to accept or throw a kind of character in. You can even have a crab with a West Indian accent. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's that's the black character. So uh, in Little Mermaid. So point I'm making is, I think, El Canto, I think uh, all these Disney animated films that take place in these other cultures are being seen by children. It's 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 expanding. uh the, the limited knowledge people have of these cultures. Let's put it like this. You just said something very key, okay? They're characters. They're not real people. They're representations of people. Representations are easier to digest for Americans, I think, on the whole. And I think Americans, the ones who have seen and made this movie such a success, the ones who are in charge of Billboard and all these places, it it's... It's easy to accept. Everybody can accept. Everybody can like it. it. It's 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 not in any way making me feel that I am any less, which is that whole thing about cultural pride and cultural prejudice.
So it allows a culture to be uh, expressed without a cultural prejudice or without a bias because it's a cartoon. It's, 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 it's animated. My kids love it. You know, it's a catchy tune, okay? Whereas film, live action, those are humans. Those are lives. That I, I, I don't want to have to deal with the idea. I don't want to see a film that says that I treated, you know, my, 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 the guy who mows my lawn bad or that the delivery guy, I don't even know what he looks like or that, you know, that a real life picture, in my opinion, means you have to now um, let go of maybe some preconceptions as opposed to being open to, to new ones. So that's my theory. On, on the success, besides the fact that the work is good. That's just my theory. So I want to hear your theory. Okay. So here's my theory of why I think that Hispanic animated films, Latino animated films, or ethnic films overall works successfully when Disney makes them as opposed to any Latino live action, real life, flesh and bone actors film, a real film. And here's what I think it is. I've, I've put some thought into this. I think what Disney does well, and you know, this is how Mitch McConnell is juxtaposed to Encantos and Disney. It's because when Mitch McConnell defines American as a white person, then you really got to think about what is Disney then, if anything but a byproduct of white America, created by a white American in his gaze. So the code was always, how do you create something that is ethnic within an American framework. That's been the key thing. I think when a Latino does a film, they make it with a Latino sensibility, not an American one. And I think even when you see novellas from Univision or Telemundo or Televisa, more like Univision and Telemundo, you'll notice that their programming at the beginning was always Latin American from Mexico down Argentina. But then they started Americanizing it. That means that the locations of the actors and the novellas took place in Miami or in LA or in New York, right? But there were still not enough white people or black people or Asian people within those novellas. Disney was like, how can we do something Latino or Samoan or Arab or Italian without alienating white America. And they cracked you, the code. You don't, have to say, you don't have to say white. You can just say Americans. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. They're the default color of the country. I forgot. Yeah, so please. what ends up happening is that they cracked the code. They said, hey, wait a minute. What if we take these ethnic stories and we whitewash them through this machine called the Disney studio? So they're, they're Latino. They're from Colombia, but they speak in English. And their mannerisms are the same mannerisms of probably white Americans. Because the mannerisms aren't necessarily Colombian or Italian. They're, they're all created within the storytelling trademark, hallmark of America, of Hollywood. And Hollywood is the greatest propaganda machine of America. 
So I think that Disney has whitewashed ethnic stories so well that white America loves now Encanto. Don't tell me that the movie took off because of Latino audiences. The movie took off because of white America. Yes. TikTok. And it's palatability. It's palatability to white America. Yeah. And they I look at it and they don't look at it said. as a Colombian movie. Coco. Yep. I I remember I still I still remember watching Coco, a Mexican story with a brown kid on it. And I'm like, I have a white girl, blonde, blue-eyed white girl sitting right next to me, crying her eyes out. I looked at that and I went, oh, a white girl crying over a brown boy? <laughs> wow. Why, why haven't I seen this growing up? Why don't you do that in real life? Well, again, because then you're confronted with other a- aspects of real life. You know, I, well, I, I feel... Right. Yeah, I think you. I think you are absolutely dead on with with your theory, uh, and I think, but you also added one more element from a business standpoint. Uh, that animated film can be dubbed into every language, and it's fine. And it's fine because so that, the default behavior of the characters, the default storytelling framework, is white Ameri- <laughs> American. Right, well, it is. It it's, is, and and it is. It's it is a for white animation. concept of the where these ethnic stories fit. They don't have their real, real authenticity, because it's being Disneyfied or Americanized or whitewashed. Whichever word you want to plop in, that's why. And you know what happens when you see something American? Your unconscious bias lowers itself. These are ethnic-friendly people. They don't threaten you. They don't scare you. They're they not real. They don't threaten your perspective either. Right. They're not real. And because they're not real, my brain goes, it can't hurt me. It can't rebuke my ideology. It can't make me feel uncomfortable. Disney is one of us. They would never allow me to feel uncomfortable with these ethnic stories. Right, Disney? (laughs) (laughs) And then we never heard from Jack again. That was the last (laughs) known recording of Jack Rico. Well, you know, you brought up... All right, sorry for the theatrics and the dramatics, but I thought it had to be said, man. uh, Listen, I applaud you. I I agree with your theory, and and you, you... You, you mentioned that one thing. And one more thing I have to say about the Americanization and, and that lens and just the power of, you said, the propaganda machine. How do we view things? You know, it's great that, you know, film and the access to, to film and filmmaking uh, is changing and animation is changing quite a bit too. you know, films like Flea that recently came out. But uh, I always found it fascinating in Japanese anime where all the characters had these big eyes and looked very American. You know, when they did not look culturally like their culture, they looked like they were from American culture. And, and that's, I remember thinking that as a child when I used to see, you know, I guess what was early anime and the characters, they always big eyes, not just, you know, normal, like big. So it it's, become it's a part a part of how anime is drawn 
It's never ethnically they they never look Japanese uh animated they look more American or white so that it, it's interesting the the amount of influence and again like you said Disney is trusted so uh it's for kids so you're open yeah and you know and and, and- and not only is American has it been Americanified, if that's even a word. I I don't think that the color of your skin dictates whether you're an American or not. You know what I do think it is? I think it is the collective identity or sensibility of what a white American has brought over to the country. It's it's like if you look at Seinfeld, like Larry David's Curb Your Enthusiasm. You know, anything from Norman Lear from the 70s onward, uh, including African-American. But a lot of what we've grown up with, a lot of the identity of television has informed any citizen within the United States of America that this is the type of humor that we have. This is what we eat. This is the conversations we have at home. This is how we react when we're shocked. This is how we show our anger. And so you just ended up picking up all the nuances of white Americans through film and television and radio. And then that ultimately informs the way you grow up in this country. And so I think that all these Disney ethic movies just carry all those nuances that we might not be fully familiar, but they feel familiar. They feel almost nostalgic and comfortable to a certain extent. That's the thing I was telling you about with uh, Gloria Calderon Kellett's With Love. It's not a Latino show. It's It's an American show because the characters might be Latino, but the sensibility is American. The last thing I will say on that is American. You know, we could do a whole show on that. What does it mean to be American? And 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 what is your definition of American? Meaning, what is it to be an American? What does being American mean to you? And American and quote unquote American sensibilities. You know, racism is an American sensibility. But then again, so is baseball. Okay. So there are certain sensibilities that they that America will cop to, and there's certain sensibilities that America won't. When it comes to storytelling, you know, there are certain, uh, let's just say, tropes we've seen, especially within ethnic stories, you know, and I feel strongly about, you know, you know, the, you know, whether it's the white savior or the, the magical Negro or, or any, all, all these stereotypes that we've seen within those very same American sensibility uh, story frameworks that Yes, it's comfortable for all of us to an extent, and, and especially Americans, but I do question if for the form to advance, for us to be able to tell stories the way we want to tell them, do we have to stick to that? With that said, Mike, that's it for this 69th episode of Brown and Black. If you'd like to support this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. Your help will allow us to be heard by many more people. 
this episode was edited by Joshua Tirado. You can follow our comments and opinions on at Brown Black Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We'll see you on the next episode of Brown and Black. ready to turn your best ideas into a thriving online business? Introducing Shopify, your no-excuses business partner. You might not realize, but our podcast, More Than Mammies, it's a business. And we started it, of course, to talk about maternity, not to become an e-commerce expert. So yeah, we needed some help selling our merch and getting our store up and running. Another sale. Shopify is a commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. No matter if you are a garage entrepreneur or a big business, Shopify is the only tool you need to start and grow your business without the struggle. With Shopify single dashboard, you can manage orders, shipping, and payments from anywhere, giving you the insights you need wherever you are. Sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash sonoro or lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash sonoro to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash sonoro.